Let that wash over your mind. I hope you will join us this coming Friday for our church Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, if you have not signed up the sheet, that is uh, not a commitment in the sense that if I sign up, I have to be there. That's just so we make sure uh, that we have a good head count that involves putting tables and chairs up and getting food prepared. Uh, and then there are uh, nearly 20 spots on the, the sheet back there. Uh, if you want to contribute to the meal in some way, whether it be dessert or dessert or dessert, um, you, can, uh, you, can, uh, you can contribute in that way. Uh, and, uh, and so please uh, make sure we know that that's going to be provided. Otherwise, that we will have to make other arrangements uh, or we'll have to go to the store or something will have to be done if, uh, if nobody signs up for those things. Uh, so please make sure that you do. With that said, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, uh, we now come and open our Bibles to hear from you, not from me. We pray, Father, not for my ability, but for the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your word would wash over us, it would sink deep inside of us, that it would change us and mold us, Father, that we would be reminded as believers of who we are and how we can manifest, how we can show, how we can reveal to the world who you are, to be lights, to be cities on a hill, to be those who point a spotlight a spotlight at what you are doing in the lives of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are uh, here in the book of Matthew, and we are uh, past the middle part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, Even if a person has never darkened the door of a church, you have heard part of this sermon. How do I know that? As you just stop and think about how many of the little phrases found in this sermon are found just in our daily lingo. Pay the last penny. Go the extra mile. Don't blow your own horn. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maybe you've described somebody as that person is kind of a salt of the earth kind of person. This sermon is so well-known, so famous, so integrated into us as a people that sometimes we miss what is so clearly there or perhaps we gloss over things that Jesus really wants us to pay attention to. Now in saying all that, let's remind ourselves what is the foundation here. And the foundation is that Jesus is speaking to those who are already following him. These are these commands, these instructions, these directions, these helps that we find in this sermon are not to guide us into a place of salvation. They are not here to, to show us how we can make ourselves pleased before God. We teach and we believe and we thoroughly believe that all of that is accomplished through the blood of Christ. That there is no other way to make God happy with you. There is no other way to be reconciled to God other than faith in Christ. And so we don't look at these things, whether they're good things to do, we don't look at these things as the guide we need to be a saved person. Now, of all those phrases that I have just mentioned that we uh, that come out of this sermon, there is perhaps one that is more famous than even the golden rule. And it is the text this morning. And what is that phrase? Judge not, lest you be judged. 
Every person has probably said it. Every person who's never been to church has probably said it. Judge not, lest you be judged. Now, we might all know what this means, but let's just make sure we're on the same page. This is not talking about differences in liking of food, for example. Somebody tells me, well, I really don't like pizza. I don't sit back in shock and go, how dare you? And nobody responds with, well, well, don't judge, lest you be judged. If we're talking about our favorite sports team and we say, well, that, that team needs to trade this guy or they need a new coach or, or they, maybe they just need a new system altogether. Somebody doesn't come up to us and say, you know, you really shouldn't judge lest you be judged. We, in fact, we make all sort of discerning decisions about where uh, we live, schools. We make discerning decisions about the best place to buy a particular item, and nobody says anything about judge not lest you be judged. When they do say it, it is always inconcerning to something that we say is moral or immoral or the condition of a person's soul. For example, we would say something along the lines of, that guy's a deadbeat dad. And somebody will probably come to us and say, well, judge not lest you be judged. Or we'll say, well, that person doesn't take care of their children or is not raising their children in a way that God would be pleased with. And somebody's going to say, well, don't judge lest you be judged. Or we might see a relationship between a uh, a couple of teenagers or maybe some young adults, and we were going to say, well, that relationship isn't right, or perhaps something going on in that relationship is immoral, and we're going to say that out loud. Somebody's likely to come along and say what? Say what, class? Don't judge. Now, this puts us in a bit of a problem. And the problem is this. Is the reality is, are there deadbeat dads? Yes or no? Are there people who are not raising their children to in a way that would please God? Yes or no? Are there people who are in relationships and doing things in those relationships that are immoral? So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to approach it? What are we supposed to just be indifferent? Just like chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount had a very clear theme going right through it, and that is the two great temptations of the Christian life, and that is hypocrisy and worldliness, chapter 7 also has a very clear theme, and that theme is relationships, particularly three that Jesus is going to repeatedly talk about. The first would be our relationship with God. Secondly, our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly, our relationship to the world. And I think our text, these six verses, are in fact going to show us what we're supposed to do with the things that we see that we know are not right. And what hopefully is going to, is going to happen is that we become a very different people in a very different community by listening to what Jesus has to say here this morning. So let me give you three thoughts that I believe that Jesus kind of directs and helps us when it comes to those relationships and the presence, the real reality of sin. Number one. Number one is pretty easy. Don't judge. Don't judge. The text opens with it. Do not judge that you won't be judged. And then he follows that by saying, whatever measure you use will then be used against you. Now, James 4, James kind of expands on what Jesus is saying here. He says this. He says, don't speak evil of your brother. 
The moment you speak evil of your brother, James says, you have now placed yourself in the position of being a judge. And why is this a problem? Well, James tells us why it's a problem. Because there's only one judge. Only one lawgiver. And he ends the whole thing by asking us, so who do we think we are to judge another person? Now, my many hours of driving while we were on vacation trying to get down to Florida, uh, I listened to a program, and on this program, the, the, the point of the program, I should say, these two people spent a year at the Cleveland Justice Center. city of Cleveland is a very unique uh, situation. Everything that has to do with justice happens in one building. If you get arrested, and you get put in jail, and you have to meet a lawyer, and then you have to go to court, all of it happens in the same building. So these two people spent a year following every major and minor case that they could find. One of the episodes I listened to was just all about judges. And the reality that how your situation turns out can be entirely dependent on the judge that you draw. You see, in the state of Ohio, judges have an extreme amount of leniency as to how they deal and how they rule on certain issues. So here's the fact of the matter. A person, two people I should say, can commit the exact same crime in the exact same situation. If they pull one judge, they may get five years in jail. You pull another judge, you may get a year of probation. And the reality is everybody there has to go along with it. So every lawyer, every criminal, every victim has to just walk away after the judge has made his ruling. And the reason for that is because there is a judge and there is a law keeper. And that's what Jesus and James are pointing us to here. Is that there is a judge, there are judges, and there are law keepers. And James saying there's only one judge and everybody else is a what? A law keeper. A citizen. Now Jesus further goes, or goes further and explains, alright, so you're not supposed to pick up the gavel against your brother or sister in Christ, or against anybody, but let's say you do. He says, whatever measure you use will be measured against you. Whatever standard you apply will be the standard used against you. And what is Jesus saying? I've known people who believe that a Christian should never walk into a movie theater. I don't believe that, but they believe sincerely that Christians should never be found anywhere near a a movie theater. And their reasoning is, is because movie theaters will often show movies that are gross and immoral and, and full of debauchery. And is that true? Yes or no? Yes. So what they'll do is they'll look at the brother or sister in Christ or they'll look at a person and say, if you go to a movie theater, you are just like those who went to see the awful, horrible, immoral Fifty Shades of Grey. You lump everybody together who does one particular action. Well, Jesus is saying, okay, if you're going to go about judging that way, if you're going to pick up the gavel, which you're not supposed to do, here's what's going to happen to you. When you stand before God, not in the judgment of heaven or hell, but in the judgment of how your life is going to be measured, and whether it pleased God or it didn't please God, God is going to take that standard you used as a judge, and he says, in that that moment, is going to be applied to you. So, for example, if you were a movie theater person, nobody should ever be to a movie theater. If you go to a movie theater, you're just like all those who watch Fifty Shades of Grey. God's going to measure you out and say, well, okay, maybe all you had was Netflix. 
There are horrible, immoral things on Netflix. So now what God's judgment is going to be on you is you're going to get lumped in to everybody who watched Netflix for immoral purposes. Whatever measure you use on that day will be used to measure against you. It would be like saying, you know what, there are people out there who wear a certain type of clothes and those kind of people commit immoral acts. And because then you associate those types of clothes with that particular immoral act. And so anybody wearing that becomes lumped in together. And that's how you're going to make judgment on people. Then the day you stand before God to receive your reward and your life is measured out, he's going to look at you and say, didn't you shop at Walmart? Weren't there people at Walmart who shopped there that got married six times? Well, yeah. Well, since that's the measure you used against others, this is the measure you're going to be, that is going to be used against you. It is a warning. And here's the warning. When we pick up the gavel, we have a tendency to use measurements that are exact. You have to meet these requirements. The implication here is that God picks up measurements and it is full of mercy. If you want mercy, then you have to stay with God's measurements. But if you're going to pick up the gavel and you're going to require these exact parameters, then that is what's going to be used against you. You are not a judge. You are a law keeper. And if you look around the world, you look at the world around us in this particular moment, we realize this world is full of this nonsense. How many of you are tired? Every time there's a mass shooting, every time a crime is committed with a gun, how many of you are tired of all gun owners being blamed? How many of you are tired of reading the news and hearing about another famous man who committed inappropriate behavior towards a woman and hearing that all men are full of toxic masculinity? You see, this very judgment that Jesus is condemning here, we begin to see that that the world around us is, is full of it. And we're being asked to be very different. We're not supposed to be like city people who look at country people and go, those people are backwards. And we're not to be country people who look at city people and say, those are violent socialists. We're being called to be a very different kind of people, a very different kind of community that refuses to pick up the gavel. It understands there is only one person who has the, 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 the right to measure out and that his measurements are full of mercy. We are law keepers, not law givers, people under authority, not people with authority. In fact, even those like me who have been given authority in certain places in time are told again and again to be reminded that that authority is on loan from God. That you are still not a judge. And as we talked about when we were studying Obadiah on Wednesday night, to judge is to be proud. And pride never stays just an attitude. And the first thing always to go is brotherly kindness. So we're told just straight out here, okay? So we are still dealing with this situation that we are seeing real sin, real concerns, vile concerns of things that we're seeing with our eyes. And the first thing that Jesus says, don't judge, don't pick up the gavel. But then he gives us number two. 
and an instruction of how to love your brother or your sister. What are you supposed to do when your brother's gone down the rabbit hole or your sister has gone sideways? Well, that's what verses 3 through 5 are about. Note how the conversation starts here. Jesus presents the idea from the negative. And I want you just to, to kind of go halfway a second with me. He asks the question, why do you see the speck? So you're walking along. You notice a problem, a sin. The first question Jesus is asking you to consider is, why did you notice? And then he goes further. He says, how could you have noticed with the beam in your eye? You should ask yourself that question. Why did I notice? Why do I see what is happening? Why, do I, why am I paying attention to the wrongs that others are committed, committing? And then he goes further, asking another question. Who are you, or how can you go then tell your brother that, he has a, that, you, can, that you can help? How can you go to your brother and say you can help when you have a log in your eye? What is it? That's the second thing I want, Jesus wants you to meditate on for a moment. What is it that's in you that says that you could help? So why are you noticing? What is it that's in you that says you could help? He says, and if you are noticing with a beam in your eye, and you're saying you can help with a beam in your eye, he has one word for you to describe you, and that one word is what? Hypocrite. Now, we just talked about hypocrisy a few weeks ago. And hypocrisy, we said, is really the when our motivations are twisted and perverted so that we go about the business of God, but not to please God, but to receive praise from men. Here, the hypocrisy is to think we're doing the work of God, not to earn the praise of other men, but to feel praise for ourselves. Let me ask you the question. What's the reward of feeling good about yourself? Can we always find someone worse than us? We can always frame ourselves as a better parent or the better spouse or the better teacher, the better giver, the better everything. And Jesus is saying this is hypocritical or hypocritical, I should say, thinking. You can be of no help because if you have a beam in your eye, you are what? Blind. And this is most certainly a shot at the Pharisees and the Sadducees who would have been off to the side listening to what he would have to say. A group of people he called as being or making more disciples of hell. He calling them the blind leading the blind. And then that leaves us again with the question, so what am I supposed to do when I notice Am I supposed to be indifferent? I can't judge. Am I supposed to be indifferent? Well, actually, he begins by saying, wait a minute, start with the examination of yourself. Notice the beam in your eye. Or to put it another way, he's saying, then examine yourself based on the judgment of God. The Corinthian church tried to play this game with Paul. They tried to play the comparison game. And Paul responded to them by saying, you can't judge me like that. No, he didn't say that, saying, you can't judge me because I'm an apostle. Or he, he said, you can't judge me because your own house is not in order. And their house was certainly not in order. In fact, what Paul says is, you can't judge me. I can't even judge myself. Because all judgment belongs in the hand of God. 
Jude warns us that we are going to encounter brothers and sisters in Christ who are being pulled into the flame. But if we go without recognizing what is happening in the temptations that can come into our own heart, we might go to rescue and only cause the fire to burn hotter. But if we come from the direction of examination, of making sure that all the beams are out of our eye, you might, in fact, save one from the fire. So then that leads to the question, how do I love my brother? What wisdom am I to use? Again, the text is clear. He's talking to his disciples. And so let's just consider them for a moment. Matthew, the tax collector, Simon the zealot, or Simon the terrorist, if you want a common vernacular, and Matthew the traitor. These two men did not belong in the same community. They should not have been able to dwell in the same community. They should have had a natural hate for each other. James and John asked their mom, do you realize how silly this is? They asked their mom to ask Jesus, hey, can we have a better place in heaven than the rest of the guys? Mary and Martha certainly did not see life the same way. They certainly had different outlooks in life. Jesus is addressing, and later Paul will in Ephesians 4, addressing the reality that Christian community is full of unnatural relationships. There are people in this room that outside of their connection with Christ would never be friends. People in this room with outside their connection with Christ would never peaceably belong to the same community. Which means there are going to be conflicts. And because we live in this community, there are going to be times we are going to notice the sin and difficulty in another person's life. And there we, we are going to be called to see it. We're going to see it. So what do we do with it? Note that the instructions that Jesus just lays out. Step one, see all the beams in your eyes. All right, if you notice, this, if you notice a, a problem or an issue with your brother and sister in Christ, he says the first step is then to look into your own eyes and see all the beams. Let me tell you as a counselor that, for example, men who struggle with addiction to pornography are always ready to judge, always willing to see the speck in another person's eye. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to see this and you want to help, the first thing to do is look for the beams in your eyes. Step two, remove said beam. Repent. Step three, then go back and see the speck in your brother's eye. But I want you to notice step four. Then help remove the speck. All right? So he's told us we can't judge. But now he's told us we cannot be indifferent. We have to help our brother. That's... The wisdom of this. And a difficult place to dwell, isn't it? Some of us have personalities this morning. Some of us have personalities that are ready to lay down the law. We're law type of people. If there's a problem, what we need is a law. Some of us see a problem. And because our lives are busy and because they are full, some of us have the personality to see these kind of problems and go, you know what, I can't get involved. And the reality is the gospel does not allow us to answer those problems either way. 
Because if you want to lay down a law, as we've already been shown, if you want to stand as a judge, then you stand in your own righteousness. And the Bible is very clear. If you're trying to stand in your own righteousness, you are now standing in a place of condemnation. The only place we ever hear the words no condemnation is when we stand in the righteousness of Christ. But if you are going to see the sin and a brother and sister in Christ and be indifferent, that's not allowed either because what you're saying is is this sin is not a big enough deal for your Savior to die for. You're saying it was all vain or empty. It is not significant. You act as though sin does not destroy families and people and churches and lives. But here, here is the narrow space we are to, to occupy, that we are not to judge, never pick up the gavel, but we are never allowed to be indifferent. And when we put those two things together and we dwell in that narrow space, we become a compelling community. Because Jesus said, they will know you are Christians by your what? Love. Because if you remove judgment and you remove indifference, all you have left is love. And then the third thing he gives us is this. Remember I told you there are three themes in all of this section. There's our relationship with God. We saw that with the first point. If we pick up the gavel and we judge others, our relationship with God is going to be affected. We saw with the second point, our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ has a step-by-step instruction. So now we come to that third section, and that is our relationship with the world. And you see this in verse 7. Number 3 this morning, wisdom for those in the world. Verse 6, he says, do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not give pearls to swine. Dogs and pigs are are, a normal terminology that was used in that day to describe those. Outside of the covenant of Israel, we would just use the term unbelievers. Jesus is told we cannot judge. We cannot pick up the gavel. We've been given instruction of how to deal with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But this brings us to a temptation. If there is ever a temptation to pick up the gavel, if there is ever a temptation not to see the faults in ourselves, isn't it the moment we realize of the immoral and gross reality of the world around us? But let me back up for a moment. I want you to notice some things in the text. There are sets of two here. First, there's an implied set of scales. The scales, as we've talked about, that God would use, the scales that you would use, the implication being we would want God's scales to be used against us. We're given two foreign objects in the eye, a beam and a speck, and two different approaches to the removal. But here we get another implied set of two, that there are those who will be shown holy things and given pearls of great price who will respond peaceably and those who will respond with hostility. In the book of Acts, we have examples of people who hear the gospel and believe. We have examples of people who hear the the gospel and just walk away. And we have examples of people who hear the gospel and take the messenger and beat him and drag him through the street. In Jesus' life, we have an example. At the end of his life, he is arrested. He's brought to Herod. The Bible tells us that Herod was glad to have Jesus there because he was hoping Jesus would perform for him. Herod looked at Jesus as a circus show. Jesus did nothing, said nothing. Then he was brought before Pilate. And the Bible says that Pilate knew what was going on. He knew he was handed over out of jealousy. He tried his best to try to set him free. And Jesus interacted with Pilate, tried to give him the truth. 
We see the Apostle Paul, he's dragged before the Sanhedrin, he's dragged there out of, out of hatred, even a plot to murder him had developed. And he only speaks to the Sanhedrin to confuse them and to keep them at bay. But later when he stands before King Agrippa, a Roman official, he shares and spreads the gospel out before him. The book of Proverbs warns us that there are such people that, that, that are known as scorners and scoffers. And we're warned that if we try to, to reach them or correct them, all that will happen is injury to us in an increase of their hate. Let me illustrate the point this way. Let's say you meet a person who's not a Christian. And perhaps the first interaction is pleasant, but then maybe the next one isn't. And maybe you're willing to, to chalk it off to a bad day. But as you grow more bold in trying to share Christ, they become less friendly. And you realize the more you try and share Christ, the further the animosity. And now here the temptation becomes either to pick up the gavel or to become indifferent. But here's what Jesus is saying. Don't give to dogs what is holy. Don't give pearls of great price to swine. He is saying to us, there are going to be moments when all that is left is to give them over to the judgment of God. Now, this sounds terrible, but let me explain. I've had a few moments where I have met and sat across in situations from people who have been victims of horrible abuses. And because of the world we live in, and because of the state of the church, they'll often sit across from me and say, Pastor, I know I'm supposed to pray that God saves them. I know I'm supposed to pray that I can forgive them, even though they don't want to be forgiven. And in fact, if they had a chance to do it, they would do it again. I often surprise them by sitting there and going, do you understand the purpose of the angry Psalms? That there is a reality that there is injustice in this world. And that some of those things affect us so deeply and so profoundly, the only thing to be done with it is to hand it over to the judgment of God. As I have said before, if it's in the hands of God and he does bring down judgment, we have the confidence of knowing that it was righteous. And this, this thought that Jesus shares in verse 6 should lead us to some thinking. First of all, we should realize what sin does to a person. It will turn them into dogs and pigs that trample precious pearls. That we should not expect the world around us to see the preciousness of truth like we do. That the conversion of a soul is a, is a miracle of God. That we are not to be robotic in our share of truth. But, but lastly, that God will not be mocked. I think it's interesting, and maybe it's just me, that for multiple years, in fact for a couple of decades, a particular entertainment industry preached through their medium all manner of, a, 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 of sexual immorality and all manner of perverse types of relationships only this last year to be exposed as the epicenter of sexual harassment and assault. God is not mocked. And in this passage later, Jesus is going to talk about wolves in sheep's clothing. He's going to talk about false teachers. 
that there is going to be people we are going to encounter, situations we are going to encounter, that all that is left to do is hand it into the judgment of God. And here's something the Bible tells us about the judgment of God. Everyone who stands before God and is judged dies. Here's what I mean. The judge, if you pray for the judgment of God upon a person, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to die by being crucified with Christ, or they're going to die in their sins again and again and again for all of eternity. And both are righteous. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not give precious pearls to swine. We cannot save everybody. We cannot fix everything. Some things are having to be left into the judgment of God. Paul does this with several people throughout his ministry. There's nothing left for me to do. I hand them to the judgment of God. So when it comes to these relationships and the valid and genuine concern about the spread or the the activity of sin, Jesus instructs us very clearly, we are not to, give, to, to pick up the gavel. You are not a judge. You are a citizen. Always keep that in mind. Secondly, he shows us then that we cannot be indifferent. But if we are going to help, it requires a self-examination, a readiness to be rid of beams in our own eye. And then we go to our brother And we help him with the speck in his eye. For if we put away judgment and we put away indifference, all we are left with is what? Love. And because we cannot judge, because we're called to not be indifferent, Jesus then tells us, here's the reality we will face, that some things will not be fixed unless the judgment of God is involved. And this to his glory. For in the judgment of God is involved, some are crucified with Christ and who are dead and now live, and some who live who will die and die again. To his glory, all of it righteous. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the people who dwell in this narrow space. Pray, Father, you give us the strength never to pick up the gavel, give us the strength to never be indifferent. And let us always remember that there are things outside of our grasp, outside of our wisdom, that all that is left to do is hand it to the judgment of God. I thank you for the wisdom of your word and how it guides and directs and helps us to be more like Christ, to shine as lights, to be cities on a hill, to show people, to set a spotlight so they may glorify our Father in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.